Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and I have a new guest with me today. It's Christopher R. Mim. Say hi. Hi there. Hey. So Christopher R. Mim, for you listeners out there, is the writer, director, and producer of the films of The Mimverse, a series of award-winning, loosely interlinked feature-length films which pay homage to the 1950s-era drive-in cinema. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, because I took it from your website. That's right. That's the, the only way I can describe it, other than uh, I often tell people uh, when people are looking at my films at like an event or something, they're like, oh, these are like old movies. And I say, no, they're new old movies. And they're like, oh, so these are, these are newly made. It's like, yes, new old movies. And they're like, oh, so they're like bad movies? I'm like, yeah, but they're good bad movies. They're yeah. new old good bad movies. Exactly. I think... Uh, the people in my I love that movie group and my listeners this is so up their alley I was so excited when you agreed to sit down and talk about this because I mean they're gonna love this episode well if if nothing else I like to talk about myself (laughs) great that's perfect I think all creative people do I think (laughs) Mm -hmm. anyone artists and and filmmakers and musicians we like to talk about ourselves exactly well uh, can you give us a little bit of background on your love of movies and what drew you to start making them well I often will say that, you know, um, a lot of my best childhood memories are of, like, going to the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've always just really liked the movies. I've never been, like, an overly athletic person. That was my brother's. Uh, and I was much more sort of a... More into school and, and, and arts, you know what I mean? Uh, but growing up, uh, often on the weekends we would go to... There was a local drive-in. I'm from Minnesota. I should put that out there. Uh, and there was a local drive-in that we would go to pretty much every weekend. And I just have so many great memories of just going to the drive-in and seeing whatever the heck was there. Uh, but then I also have just a lot of good memories of... It's weird. Just recently I was driving that same area uh, where uh, that drive-in used to be. And I realized that in addition to that drive-in, there used to be like three or four theaters around there too. And now there's oh. just one multiplex. Yeah. Uh, and I I realized that I used to just go to the movies all the time as a kid. So I have all these great just memories of, of going to the movies. So I've been kind of obsessed with the movies for a long time. Uh, and I don't know. I was just, uh, you know, I was a big sort of geek growing up. And I, you know, love Star Wars and sci-fi and Star Trek and what have you. Uh, and so as I got older, I always kind of wanted to make my own movie. But I never... It took a while to finally get to that point, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it took it took the technology coming around where I didn't have to spend you know thousands and thousands and right. hundreds of thousands of dollars just to make a short, uh, just because film was so 
ridiculously expensive. Yeah. And I was always like, if I'm going to make a movie, I want it to look like a movie. I didn't want it to look like a VHS cam, like, <laughs> yeah. you know, video thing. Uh, so once the technology became available to do it, uh, I just was like, okay, now's the time. Let's do it. That's um, so awesome. And before that, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird convoluted road of how I ended up actually making movies. Uh, because I used to be sort of a, a bad musician, is which uh, I was in a lot of bad rock bands in the '90s, and uh, and I got sort of interested more in the recording process of making, you know, being in a band. I mm-hmm. really was not one for live performance, or okay. I like writing songs and recording them, and sort of the process of being able to refine a song and then sort of like set it in stone. This is the song from this point forward, uh, whereas a lot of the other musicians I was working with were always like, no, it's all about the live performance and sort of the work. It's the difference between theater and movies too. Right. And, uh, but in the back of my head, it was like, no, I want to make movies. And so I went to college actually for uh, audio engineering. Oh, okay. Uh, and okay. while I was there, did a bunch of classes on um, audio for video. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a huge, long answer. No, that's uh, totally fine. Uh, okay. Keep going. Just, no, uh, and, and in doing that, I was like, oh, yeah, this, this actually is relevant to sort of what I really wanted to do. And then, like I said, once the technology became available uh, to make a movie that looked like a movie that I wouldn't have to, you know, mortgage several houses just to make it work, um, it all kind of clicked and came together. That's awesome. Uh, and that started in 2005. We started making my first movie, The Monster of Phantom Lake. Pick it up now at sainteuphoria.com, my awesome. website, all spelled out. <laughs> I've done enough interviews to know you always go back to sell, buy, buy. Um, and uh, I released that in 2006, and, and from there it just kind of took off. That's honestly. awesome. You are really like living the dream. I'll, I'll, I'll dive into that a little bit later, but like okay. a lot of the people that are like in the group that uh, in our Facebook group like there's a lot of people that went to film school or are currently working on making films so yep. they're gonna love that answer specifically because they're so interested in it um, so your films are highly stylized and I read that your father greatly influenced your movie uh, your movie making can you talk about that yeah well okay so like I said growing up we'd go to the drive-in all the time mm-hmm. and my dad was a big he was a big sort of movie nut too okay. so I mean that obviously rubbed off um, <laughs> As far as this particular genre of the sort of 50s monster movies, mm-hmm. um, my dad grew up on a, on a farm uh, in western Minnesota uh, on the like, South Dakota border. Uh, and in the 50s, uh, you know, he's a little kid. He would often, like I would say, he'd shirk his farm chores and go into town and watch whatever crappy movie they're playing That's at the awesome. the corner theater. <laughs> and I'm so sad that that movie theater isn't isn't there anymore because uh, it's a tiny town, like population, like 400 people, right? Uh, and they had this old cool theater called the Gym uh, that he used to go to. I've done a bunch of research. I was hoping that it was the at least the building was still there, and I think the building yeah. is. Uh, and I would love to just visit and see if there's any piece of it left. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Um, so he'd go there and he'd see these crappy movies. And they're mm-hmm. always, you know, he's a small town, so they wouldn't get, like, the A-list stuff. They would get the bad drive-in B-movie stuff, right? And so he's like, this is back in the day when you just, so what if you're eight? See whatever's there, you know? The guy who was working <laughs> yeah. didn't care. He right. knew you. He knew your parents, whatever. And it was like a quarter for a double feature. Uh, and he would always get in trouble because he'd be so scared when he got home and he'd go to bed and he couldn't sleep. 
And my grandmother would be like, you were at the movies again. <laughs> You're only busted. like, And he'd get busted, <laughs> but he'd keep doing it. So uh, when I was a kid, uh, he got, uh, he was one, we were one of the first families to own like a VCR because my oh. dad was a bit of a gadget head too. Uh, and he picked one up and we found the local video store that had all those old movies from when he was a kid. And suddenly he's like, oh, I haven't seen this in 30 years. So he'd go and we'd rent them and just sort of watch them together. And so those cheesy old movies, my dad absolutely loved cheesy old horror and, and uh, sci-fi, uh, were very much associated with him yeah. uh, and just growing up and watching him with him. For sure. And uh, uh, sadly, and this is the, the sort of the sad part, you can put in some you know, music here where the, <laughs> the strings swell a little. Mm. Uh, sadly, he passed away in 2000. Um, he was only 51, right? Because mm. uh, he had uh, stomach cancer. And it was like a year-long process from diagnosis to... It was like they just caught it way too late because of the kind it was. And it was just... Yeah. Um, so when I decided to make... Finally decided, okay, I'm going to make my first movie. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to make a movie that would be sort of a bit of a homage or like a tip of the hat to my dad. Sort of like something he would have liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. I figured partially, too, it was like... A, I know that genre really well. B, I can do it in black and white, which makes the process a little easier because you don't have to do color correction, which is just another step. And you got to worry about those things of like, uh, you know, uh, having someone who cares about the color palette of mm-hmm. a particular film or whatever. It just takes a step out of it. Uh, but I also kind of figured from a strategic standpoint, if I made a movie that maybe wasn't perfect and had flaws, it would actually become kind of a, plus right because one of the things about the genre that people nowadays like so much is that uh it's not perfect Mm -hmm. right there's there's a certain level of i don't know what the word i'm looking for here but imperfection to it Mm -hmm. all where it's it's an authenticity to it that it's like they're trying really hard but they're they're making it up as they go because it's not now where you can just do everything with a computer it's like well how do we make a giant ant (laughs) <laughs> I guess we'll make a big puppet or something. I don't know. So there was, there was a bit of a strategic thing. It was like, well, if I make a movie, it's my first movie, I don't know what I'm doing because I was uh, an audio engineer and I like a computer programmer. Uh, I'd never actually made a movie. It was like, well, I can at least do this. And if I make mistakes, maybe it'll help. And I think in the end, the final product, The Monster of Phantom Lake, ends up being uh, one of my more authentic movies because we set out to make a movie that sort of pays homage to those cheesy old movies, which, you know, the appeal of them a lot of times is the fact that they're not perfect. Right. And because we didn't know what we're doing, we actually kind of succeeded by accident yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah, you're not purposefully putting in mistakes. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I feel like the as I become a better filmmaker just from doing this year after year, uh, it gets a little harder to authentically make mistakes because I know better. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes I mean, so a lot it's, of sense. It's, and so there's this weird line where it's like, that one is still very, very popular with a lot of people because it does feel, I think, of all my films, the most authentic because we screwed up a lot, <laughs> uh, because we didn't know what we were doing. We made mistakes, and they're honest mistakes, whereas uh-huh. now it's like if I make a mistake, it's like, well, did he mean to do that? Was uh-huh. that, you know? And so it becomes weird. It's this weird continuum you're working on, and we're on one end, and now I feel like... I worry that when you get to the point where you sort of reach the middle of that timeline or that continuum, it's like you're no longer making good, bad movies. You're just making mediocre, 
good movies. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's such an interesting. Yeah, take it's on like that. it's like now uh, they're decent movies, but they're not good enough to be great movies because I actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> so that like, I can't get a pass anymore on. Oh, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's what makes it awesome. It's like no, he knows what he's doing. He knows better. This can be better. <laughs> Make it better. But that's um, a creative, I think, fear, too. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, oh, it's yeah. kind of like the more you know, the more you're afraid of, you know, how it's going to be received. Right. Well, Because and, you can really and, see what's good and bad and everything in between. And but. you can see that, too, in just the processes. Back then, we made Monster Fam. Like, we shot that, like, in two months. And I think I was done with it in three. So it was like, we just whipped through that, and boom, <laughs> I got a movie. Now it's like every day working on stuff and I feel like I'm just constantly tweaking every little thing because I see the flaws and I want to fix the flaws and it's just, mm-hmm. it becomes more of a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the movies end up being better as a result, uh, but the process becomes a lot different. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, it's more, it's different compared to how it was back then. So, um, so I made the monster of Phantom Lake and, uh, uh, the reason I end up kind of sticking with the genre, and I don't think back then I really intended to just make these, but uh, we did the premiere uh, at, at a film uh, at a theater up in up in Minnesota, and we got like we almost sold the thing out, which was surprising because it was like a theater with like 400 seats. Wow. We figured it'd be us and our friends and family, and sure. no big deal. Uh, and people went kind of crazy for it, and suddenly all these film festivals picked it up and. And we were getting all these positive reviews, and it was like, what did we do right? None of us <laughs> understands what happened. Uh, and through this process, I ended up uh, a, a drive-in in Wisconsin's like, hey, can we play your movie? That is so like, amazing. Like, full yes, circle. yeah, it's like, yeah. of course you can. The thing was, at the time, they're like, do you have like a, a 35 millimeter print of it or even a 60 millimeter? I was like, I don't have any <laughs> actual prints of it. It was filmed yeah. digitally and... I have a DVD. That's the best I can do. And the guy's like, okay. Well, and this was right before, I mean, this was before all the theaters have done the digital right, uh, yeah. you know, switch. Um, and a lot of the drive-ins especially didn't know what they were going to do. And most sure. of them that were still around shut because they couldn't afford to upgrade. Uh, he's like, we'll figure it out. Just come on out to this thing because they're doing like a Dust Till Dawn thing. Oh, cool. So they played like two kids' movies and they played my movie and then like Westworld. And, and it was just like it was super cool. And we get out there and he had rigged it up where he had like a hatchback in the front row of the drive-in with uh, like a digital projector that he wired it all through. And it was like the most, it was the most ridiculous thing ever. And he had like, you know, saw horses telling people to stay away from the cords and it was crazy. And then, but it was the coolest thing. So we're there, the lot is full of cars. We watched the movie and I was with the the guy who plays the main character and we were just kind of like giddy, stupid the whole time. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And as it ends, we get the what we call the drive-in standing ovation. Everyone starts honking their horns, oh, that's which awesome. is the sort of like approval. And I was like, "This is so great! I love it so much!" And I turned and I was like, "I'm never doing anything else." It's like, really? I'm like, I'm making this it's forever. It's just so overwhelming. It know? really was. And so I from mean, that point, I'm like, "This is all I'm doing. I want to be this guy who makes like 30 of these." And someone sees one, and they go to the IMDb, and they're like, "Holy crap! This guy's made 30 of these!" And then it becomes my thing. And I just. I kind of fell in love with the whole, like, re-fell in love with the genre, and now I just sort of 
it's it's just my crazy obsession That's and amazing. and I'm too deep now to get out you oh, know for sure. I'm I'm in it all the way I'm I'm over my head at this point Yeah I love that <laughs> I love your your personal story about your connection with your father because I found like myself and pretty much everybody that I interview you know on the show they pick a movie and then we just talk about why they love it so much Yeah and that kind of connection comes out a lot you know yeah, people oh, yeah. like my mother and I used to watch this movie all the time yeah. It's just amazing the way film can have such a deep impact oh yeah movie people go oh it's just a movie but it's really not because it can really give you such an amazing instant connection to that time in your life and as a filmmaker too i almost kind of struggle with that as like uh you have those moments i think everybody does but for me it's like i'm spending all this time and money and effort and and in putting it into this and you start stepping back and you're like how is this important you know, mm-hmm. couldn't I be saving starving children or something? <laughs> and instead, it feels almost overindulgent. You know, it's very self-indulgent of just like, no, I'm making movies. Why are movies important? But then you think about that and you're like, oh, they're so entertainment important. is important, mm-hmm. right? Telling stories is important. Bringing people together is important. That's what these, these things do because, you know, without, without entertainment, what is life? You know, it, it'd be very boring, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, you can't just watch chess matches all the time, which I'm sorry for anyone who likes to watch a chess match. <laughs> if that's all the entertainment we ever had, uh, I don't know. We'd be right. Russia is what we'd be. Um, <laughs> no, uh, so I, I sort of do struggle with that of like the importance of it. But then you do have to think back, I think, as a creative person or as a, even just a consumer yeah. of, of entertainment and realize the value of it. For instance, and I actually have a, a story that ties into my films a little bit. Uh, that I don't tell this story often, but this is the perfect segue into it. Uh, it's an exclusive. Um, <laughs> it's exclusive. Uh, Ghostbusters is one of my favorite movies of all time, if not my absolute favorite. I've seen it a million times. I can quote it backwards and forth. Um, every one of my movies has a line from Ghostbusters in it. That's awesome. Honestly. And the reason... It, I love that movie beyond the fact that it's just a really great movie is that I have a very specific memory associated with it uh, that makes it extra special that has to do with my parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it 84 is when it came out, right? And I was... I think so. I was eight. Um, so you guys can figure out how old I am. Uh, I was eight and uh, my dad took my brothers and I to go see it at a theater because he, he loved the movies. He's like, let's go see this movie. And he absolutely loved it. We loved my brothers and I loved it, and we were obsessed with it. And my dad, uh, after that, was like, "Man, that was so good." And this, of course, back in the days when uh, it took like a year for things to come out on home video, right? Uh, and I distinctly remember I found an old newspaper that said, like, you know, Ghostbusters now, and it's you know, forty second week, you know, stuff like that, which is crazy to think about now. Uh, my dad loved it so much. He's like, "We have to come see this again, but we need to bring your mom." She has to see this in a theater. This was so good. Uh, and honestly, uh, growing up, my mom and I were never close, and we're still kind of not close. We, we get along, but we weren't close. Right? Yeah. I was much closer to my dad. Uh, so we go to the movies, uh, all of us, and I was sitting next to my mom, right? And uh, there's the, the sort of one moment where uh, one of the Zool dog things, you know, like <laughs> ro- growls yeah. really loud, and it made both my mom and I jump, Right? And I distinctly remember this. This is how much it sort of became a yeah. part of who I was. And we look, I remember looking at my mom, and she looked at me, and we both laughed together. Like, we had this little giggle moment. And we, like, bonded in a way that we really don't and yeah. hadn't, right? Uh, my mom was a very quiet person and kind of, I mean, she's just, 
I get my uh, temper from her, shall we say, and my, <laughs> my rather grumpy demeanor. I mean, my, mom's, my mom's just not a warm and fuzzy person. She's yeah. a great person. I mean, she's not listening, but she's a great person. <laughs> I'm not disparaging my mother, but she's just kind of, Yeah, you're you just know, different. Yeah. Uh, or we're too much the same, oh, and that's part of the oh, problem. Okay, okay. Uh, but so we had this, like, moment, and that, like, sort of cemented that, that movie in my head of just, like, I bonded with my entire family over this this one movie yeah. and this one movie going experience because we saw and that was the only movie my dad ever took us to twice in a theater. Oh yeah. And so it was like that movie's awesome. So I I absolutely love it. So I put, I, you know, in the monster family, like I just found a place for I was like ooh because I was writing it and I was like this would be a great place for a Ghostbusters reference and there's I think there's like three of them in that one. I think there's even the Ghostbusters two reference in that one which is one of the few. Um, and so from that point forward, I just put a Ghostbusters reference or a line somewhere in every single one of my movies. Yeah. Some are obvious, some not so much. Yeah. No, and I love that. And, you know, going back to what you were saying where you feel like you're spending so much time and effort, you know, is it worth it? But that's kind of what I meant earlier when I said you're living the dream. It's so yeah. many people think about doing something like that and you just, you did it. So it's like, I don't know. That's well, really amazing. And I have, a, I have a really interesting sort of story that even just happened today. Uh, you know, I'm always going through that of just like, why do I bother? This is so much work. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's just like you're it, that constant imposter syndrome yeah. thing, right? Uh, and I am, uh, I'm turning 42 this year. If you did the math, that's, that's it. Um, <laughs> and I actually just saw something like last night, I was just really tired and kind of feeling, I was just like, ah, so much work. Why do I do it? I'm never going to finish these movies. Why do I bother? What other what other career could I do that would be <laughs> something else? You know, going through that thing, just like that self-doubt. And this morning, I come, uh, we're at Alcon. I don't know if we can say that. We're at oh, Alcon yeah. in Dallas. Um, so. I went down to my little vendor table, and um, we set up, and it wasn't open yet, so no one's in there. So I was just looking at my phone, checking Facebook or something, and something came up that was a story about Jackie Chan, right? And... Uh, just the other night, we had a, a dinner. Uh, this is this is supposed to be said. We had dinner at a sushi place here with some local friends. I heard about this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, like we talked at one point about phobias, what were people's like biggest phobias was, and no one ever actually asked what my phobias were. Right? It never actually came around to me because I was the one actually kind of leading the conversation. And my biggest phobia is needles. Right? I hate needles. Like I pass out every time a needle comes near me. Uh, anyway, so I'm watching this thing, and it was about Jackie Chan. And it was talking about how he was a stuntman working with Bruce Lee, right? Uh, and he tried to make a couple kung fu movies that failed miserably. And he ended up being a construction worker in Australia, right? And then he made, uh, like, um, he, he just changed it up and kept sort of kept going, even though he was doing this job he didn't like. Uh, and he made, uh, you know, decided... I'm not gonna make kung fu movies. I'm gonna make slapstick. I'm gonna mix slapstick comedy yeah. with kung fu, and that was his thing. And he became this huge star in China, mm -hmm. right, and in Asia. Uh, and they then said that he made Rumble in the Bronx, which was his crossover into the U.S. Right. Here's the creepy thing that I think is amazing because sometimes I think the universe just sends you messages, yeah. you know, trying to tell you not to give up. Uh, it says in that that. When Rumble the Bronx hit, he was 42. And at the end, it says his greatest fears is needles. Oh, and I'm like, weird. it's a sign. <laughs> it's I a can't sign. give it, up. Jackie Chan saved me. <laughs> and I love Jackie Chan. That's obviously. awesome. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? Yeah, I, I do like that story. And I think 
his slapstick style. I mean, I think that's what enabled him to really cross over. Right. That, that's what helped the American audiences really relate to that yes, kind of cinema. Yes, very much so. Very but much we so. We don't have that background that they do over there right. with it. So how do you communicate? You know, everyone laughs. Everyone likes that. Right. And, and through the humor, it sort of helped sell some of the the stunt work and all mm-hmm. that stuff where you're like, okay, now I get this, right? Mm-hmm. And now a lot of that has been infused into American movies so much uh, where you had like The Matrix, which really right. brought sort of kung fu movies into the mainstream, I think, uh, at least American mainstream. And now you look at sort of fight scenes. I mean, uh, look at Star Wars, for instance. Look sure. at the original lightsaber battle in Star Wars and then compare it to the lightsaber battle even in like episode one. Mm-hmm. It's like you can tell that there was an influence of like, no, let's ramp this up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think a lot of Asian cinema as a result uh, was what helped, yeah. I think, yeah. uh, lead that of just us getting used to. It's like, well, if they can do the crazy stuff Jackie Chan does, why can't we do stuff like that too? That right. That's much cooler than just like, these slow motion, you <laughs> yeah. know, Obi Wan Darth Vader fight, which is still, I love too. Uh, on a side note, how a lot of like super Star Wars fans are like trying to come up with theories as to why. It's like <laughs> why I have a friend. Of, I, it's like I have a friend of mine is like I think, and he's like he had this whole theory about why, and it's like, well, you're a you're a super fan, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Well, um. So as you've already mentioned, you write, direct, and produce these films. So to me, that sounds pretty daunting. Uh, how do you manage to wear all those hats? Uh, you know what? Sometimes it's just out of necessity. I mean, yeah. um, our budgets on, on my films are so low. I just I can't pay anyone, usually even myself. Uh, so often you can ask for volunteers. And you get sometimes volunteers who are very gung-ho about doing stuff. Um, but it's really hard for them to maintain uh, just because people have lives, you know, you can't mm-hmm. be like, I need you to spend three weeks doing this with me. Uh, it's like, I don't really know anybody who's that independently wealthy uh, <laughs> or really independently wealthy at all. Um, so out of necessity to a certain amount, uh, I, I, I have to do all this stuff just because. Mm-hmm. I'm also kind of an egomaniac and I like control. Uh, and so some of that is just me like, no, I'm going to yeah. do it because I want it done in a very specific way. Uh, and I don't know, I'm a little, honestly, a little ADD, and wearing all those hats make, keeps this interesting. It keeps the hyper-focus going, because mm-hmm. I never get too distracted, because it's like, okay, well, maybe I'm not writing right now, but I could be editing, and I could be filming, and I could be working on something else. I could be updating the website. So it's like there's always these constant things to be, do- to be done, mm-hmm. and it keeps me focused on then the grander objective of by having more than one thing to do Um, otherwise I if I were just doing one thing I would probably get distracted and bored really fast but it's like if I get sick editing well I can start writing something else or I can you know be scheduling this or whatever you know Mm -hmm. Well, I imagine it's hard, you know, for, for any filmmaker. I think anytime you're a director, you are kind of a control freak. I mean, you're the director. Yeah. So it's probably hard to give that up anyway. So it really kind of, is. In a way, it, like, yeah. pays off that you do it yourself because it's, like, you really, it's yours. You own it, you know? Well, and then I think, to to a certain extent, um, if you've ever, if, if, if a person watches all my films, for one, I think you can see sort of a progression from The Monster Family to something like The Giant Spider, which was mm-hmm. movie number eight. And you can see a quality jump. Uh, but then it also, I think, feels like there's there's a continuity to it all. And just like you can kind of tell 
that it's I don't know it's it's my sort of grand vision mm -hmm. which sounds awful and like I said totally egomaniac here <laughs> but we all are all those filmmakers right. are we yeah, want no. we want to create yeah. universes we want to play God and we're all just like no it will be my way so I think it does <laughs> allow me to, to maintain a certain level of control uh, and quality as far as I see it right yeah. uh, just I mean, that whole, like, you know, if you want something done right, do it yourself yeah. does usually prove to be true right. in a lot of things. Not that the people I work with haven't done their part. It's just there are certain people who do certain roles and they're happy with that. Mm -hmm. And I just don't try to necessarily push them out of it. Uh, mm -hmm. For instance, there's a guy who makes uh, all the monster masks and a lot of the cool props, uh, a guy named Mitch Gonzalez, uh, and he does great work. But I don't ask him to act in my films because when I have, he hates it. <laughs> and he just, he just, he's like, it's just not me. I'm not, uh, I want to be behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. I just, I like sitting in my basement making these monsters. That's yeah. all I really want to do. Uh, and I'm always constantly keeping his mind going. In fact, here, this visit here at AllCon, I was talking to someone. We want to make a, at some point, we want to make a luchador monster movie, right? Because back in the, uh, 50s and 60s had the Santo movies and the you know the the luchador the Mexican monster movies and we're like we got to do that and Mitch is just like yes we do and I was talking to someone here who can probably hook us up with a like a wrestling league in Waco to That's film great. a bunch of stuff and I tell Mitch that and he's like oh, I'm on it so <laughs> I'm on constantly keeping him busy but he has his thing and and you know yeah. he's happy in his role and once I find those people who are sort of happy in those roles I generally will, you know, employ them forever as long as they want to do it. That is so great. Well, I think that, you know, that genre that you've picked is perfect for, uh, you know, people that really love movies because it's like the most exciting, fun parts of it, I think, like making the monsters. Oh, or, yeah. You know, the setting or, you know, if you're a, a movie junkie that I think most movie junkies love that kind of cinema. Well, and even I think as, an, as with the actors in particular, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is a bit of a stylized acting uh, to those movies because they're yeah. not it's not like acting out acting right. now goes for realism mm -hmm. like blunt realism whereas back then it was like a melodrama it was like right. a it was a weird halfway point between like theater and film now right yeah. it's like you can still play it up you can still be crazy and you can do the big dramatic screams and all that stuff and so to find actors who really get that mm -hmm. is 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 a beautiful thing and I think a lot of actors like working within that because you can choose scenery and it's okay and so it's 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 like I said it's, it's almost more like theater half yeah. the time uh, so there's a lot of parts of that where you can really step outside of the sort of you know and it doesn't matter how serious we treat it it will never feel serious right but that's part of the that's part of the point yeah it's fun and it's, right yeah. and even the way I direct the first thing I tell anyone is like look I know your first instinct is to I'm going to act awful I'm going to be bad I'm going to act wooden I would say don't do that uh, give me the best thing you got if you got Shakespeare give me Shakespeare because the joke is not going to be your acting the joke is going to be the fact that the monster is made out of garbage bags yeah, yeah. you know what I mean and so we all just sort of have a lot of fun with it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, I think, comes through in the films, honestly. Yeah, no, you can definitely see that. Um, so what is a typical budget for these films? The most expensive uh, the most expensive movie I've ever made was The Giant Spider, which cost still less than $10,000. Wow. Nice. Um, the average budget <laughs> uh, is usually between four and 6000 Oh, okay. Um, yeah. 
the early ones, I think the Monster Phantom Lake, we spent about 600 bucks, honestly. Wow. Um, if you don't include me buying a camera, uh, and I don't because I was sort of amortized over several films. Uh, but the actual production was just stuff people had. Um, there was no location. I mean, the location was just literally some guy's backyard that had trees. Uh, so, I mean, we really didn't spend money on much other than food and the monster costume, which at that time cost us $35 at the dollar store. So wow. we spent about 600 bucks. Nice. Uh, actually <laughs> producing that film. And then, like, we spent more getting DVDs made than we ever did actually making the movie. Wow. Same with the second film. I probably spent maybe about five, $600. Um, but they were built that way to be, mm-hmm. it was like, if I'm making a movie and I have no money, how would you do it? And right. you sort of approach it like, okay, if it's all outside, we don't need to build sets. If it's just outside, we don't even have to, like, have a big area. just need trees because mm-hmm. uh, they're camping in the woods. Yay. Yeah. Uh, so, and everyone's ca- costumes was like, well, what do you have that would work, right? And we came up with ideas. So everyone had their costume. Everyone did their own hair and makeup. And it was just, it just didn't cost a lot. Later, when we start sort of being a little grander in scope, you end up spending a lot more money. Like, sure. I'm working on a movie now called Guns of the Apocalypse, which is a post-apocalyptic spaghetti Midwestern. Uh, I like it already. And that alone, we've already spent $600 just buying replica guns. I mean, it's a Western. You need cool old style guns, but they can't look fake. Right. So we bought these really nice replicas, but each gun is like a hundred bucks. So, I mean, just that alone is like $700 on guns. Uh, But then you have cool costumes and all this other stuff that you end up spending money on that we never did back then because we weren't that ambitious. But as we go on to sort of maintain the, want to maintain a level of being challenged, I mm-hmm. guess, as yeah. we're doing these things and just try new things, uh, you kind of have to spend some money. Which sure. Kind of sucks, but that's life. <laughs> that's life. You know, if you're smart about what you're doing and what you're making, uh, you can you can cut corners a lot on the budget. Mm-hmm. You can you can save money very easily, um, and a lot of people just want to be involved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you're really going for high-end talent, and this is nothing against uh, the people I've worked with, but you know, some people who work as actors for a living, uh, you know, you got to pay them because that's what they expect. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got lucky in just finding actors who just really wanted to do it, and a lot of them are very talented, and a lot of them are just sort of community theater people. Mm-hmm who are used to the idea of like, I'm not getting paid, I'm doing it really for the love of this. And we all kind of are, you know? And so you just have to find the people with that mindset who are willing to just help you realize your vision, who just want to be involved. Yeah. Who just want to be a part of all this, right? Yeah, I think the big difference between the guy that you're talking about and you is that you're selling kind of an experience too. In oh, yeah. Because, I mean, like I said, the people that are involved in your movies, the people that watch your movies, the people that follow your movies, you're so involved with them. Yes. And they feel like they know you and they right. feel like they're in your universe yeah. with you. And so, of course, you're going to sell more copies because there's that instant personal connection. Well, and that's the thing too is that uh, even just from the people who make it, we, we very much have like a that feeling of being a community theater troupe, mm-hmm. right? We're all just there. We're all friends. We're, you know, we, we find, I often find people who just sort of become friends and we, yeah, we work together in essence, but we're really just having fun. 
Uh, and we keep our crews small, you know, we cater them ourselves, you know, it's like one day, one of the best days shooting my, my movie Demon with the Atomic Brain was one of the actors just randomly brought in a crock pot full of meatballs, you know, it's just like <laughs> stuff like that where everyone just sort of chips in and does their thing. Uh, and we're just, we're just all having a really good time. Yeah. And again, that's how you keep some of those budgets low, mm-hmm. uh, in just, you know, also, and I, I often tell filmmakers this, like, because they, they're like, how do you make movies so cheap? Is like, I write movies, obviously doing these cheesy old movies, I do save money in just the fact that I don't need expensive CGI or car chases or whatever. Yeah. But as the writer of them as well, as I approach them from the, the, the standpoint of like, how do I tell a good story without breaking the bank? Because right. uh, you can tell good stories that are small in scope or just require... Like, I, I'm working on a movie now called Queen of Snakes. 90% of the movie literally takes place in one room uh, because the main character uh, is in a wheelchair and can't leave, and refuses to leave this room. Uh, and it gets crazy, right, uh, in this, this one room. That keeps our budget pretty low, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's like we're just shooting one room, and it's literally my mom's bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for that. <laughs> My mom is very supportive. I was sort of talking earlier, but she's very supportive. That's she was good. <laughs> she was really funny about it when I was like, "Can I shoot here?" And she's like, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> like, and she acts, of course, like, "Oh, you're gonna put me out," but then she's having tons of fun. Yeah. And even then, like, I was setting up the thing, and she's like, "You know what you should do?" And she starts giving me suggestions on things to put on the walls. Oh, so and you I'm guys like, are like, "Yeah, see, <laughs> see, you're more into this than you let on." <laughs> Well, um, my next question for you, when I was watching uh, one of your movies the other day, what struck me, a connection to the uh, the older films is that, like the music, like, yeah. where, you know, where does the music come from? Uh, I end up using uh, public domain stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and in S- and I think this was the, the plus of being sort of a musician first uh, and then going to is that I do a lot of the, I do all the sound and all that stuff myself is that I basically take pieces of music from old public domain films uh, and then yeah, remix familiar. it basically. Yeah. Uh, so any given moment, you may be hearing pieces from like six different, you know, films. Okay. Uh, and it's all like library music from back then. Which, if you hear, if you listen real close, it's like you've already heard these pieces of music in probably three, four, five different movies. Yeah. Uh, but I've taken a, a lot of it and just remixed it into other little things because I find strangely a lot of those old, especially that era. I don't know if they're just not that many composers or what, but a lot of them work together regardless of what movie they came from. <laughs> it's like they're all in the same key or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just weird that they all just kind of fix and you can find that sort of, you know, halfway point uh-huh. where they meet and then boom, you got yourself a thing. Uh, but then I use it very small and atmospherically in a way that, uh, you know, tries to keep it, I don't know, um, less as in your face and more just sort of underscore right yeah, yeah it sounded uh, familiar but i couldn't like place it. right because yeah, I'll, a lot of times it, yeah. i'll remix it or uh-huh. i'll like make something into a loop or whatever so it's like oh okay but then you're jumping literally often within seconds from movie to movie to movie so. mm-hmm. and but i mean that familiarity kind of brings you into that genre really quick too and well, like the mood of the film and i think the sound quality of those old recordings is very hard to replicate uh, so I think that's one of the things that helps is that I'm using authentic old pieces of music that were recorded and made back then. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of those things that helps bring you back to that is that it just instantly sounds like one of those old movies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
and that's one of the things sound is one of those things that I feel like a lot of filmmakers don't take into account enough yeah uh, that it plays a much bigger role in film than anyone realizes mm-hmm. uh, often people filmmakers approach movies as a visual medium and it is yeah but sound plays a huge role in a way that often people just ignore and that's no, one of those things that can yeah. totally like like basically I always tell people this is that you can watch a movie that looks terrible looks terrible and you'll just think oh it's a creative decision and you'll watch the whole thing yeah. but if you watch a movie that has bad sound five minutes later you're going to get annoyed and turn it off right because yeah, it's going right. to grate on you in a way that you almost can't even like put your finger on no I, I listen to some other film podcasts and that's something that they mention a lot yeah they'll say they'll criticize like a dvd or movie and say that i i turned the sound up a lot i turned it down yeah. i think you know and i struggled the entire movie and it, what's weird for someone like me that doesn't create movies i that was a, a real aha moment i was like okay that does really bug me and that is a mistake on that film like sometimes i'm turning it up and down and going i'm doing something wrong or, and, you know. and often the one thing that will give away a low budget production more than anything else the quickest is the sound mm. if the sound is just like you can tell yeah okay they, this is an indie production and not a good one yeah so what is your favorite film you've created so far out of all your movies? Uh, you know, it's hard to pick. It's like asking, sure. asking me to pick my favorite child. Um, <laughs> you know, everyone, every movie I've made has some sort of special significance to me, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but they're all different. Like, you know, the first movie, for instance, The Monster Family Lake, my first movie, um, is, is, you know, the one that started it all. So it has a very special place in my heart. Sure. But looking back on it now, having done all these other ones, all I see are flaws, right? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm looking at it that. from a very for, through very different eyes than yeah. I did back then. Where back then it was like, I finished it. This is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> I'm going to be famous tomorrow. Uh, whereas now I look at it like, God, I should have done that different. I should have done that different. Ugh. That shot's terrible. What is with the lighting on this shot? You know, it's like you notice uh, everything. Right, but yeah. it's still like one of the most popular films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it has a very special place in my heart because it's number one. Uh, the second film is not my favorite, but uh, again, special place in my heart, specifically because I learned certain things on that that have helped me going forward. And I watch it now, and if I watch it with a certain mindset, it's even better, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like each one of them. So there are a lot of metrics in that. Mm-hmm. In like, uh, I don't necessarily have a favorite, but each one has its sort of specialness to me uh the giant spider is my most popular oh really Um, okay i always tell people i think it's because not only is it it's the one movie that i feel like i went into it with a very specific i go into every movie with a very specific vision of how i think it's going to turn out and then i actually have to reconcile what it is when it's done Mm -hmm. and sort of figure out like if i'm because it never ever turns Mm -hmm. out exactly how you imagine you always have these grandiose plans (laughs) and then it's like and this is what it actually is, and now I must, like, you know, find some sort of middle ground in my head about uh-huh. and accept it, right, for what it is. The giant spider actually turned out better than I imagined it would be. Oh, awesome. Uh, there are a lot of parts of it that just worked in mm-hmm. a way that I wasn't even expecting. Like, there's a whole... The big finale, um, you know, uh, there's, like, a confrontation between the spider and one of the characters... And I don't know how we pulled it off, but it actually works. It looks... 
I don't know. It like <laughs> we, you know, the, the the actor was acting against nothing, and then we filmed the spider after. You should you're supposed to film it for, first, and then work the actor to the spider. We did it backwards, uh, and it still worked, and it works really, really well. And like the special effects, I don't know. There's one scene in it where there's a single shot that took me over a week, just for the number of like uh, composited pieces mm-hmm. in that one shot, and it's one of the coolest like chunks of anything I've ever done. That's awesome. And so that one just tends to be popular. It's, I wrote it to be accessible. It's not as, some of these other ones are, are when you're dealing with these old style movies, um, you run the risk if you go a little too authentic of really alienating modern viewers. Yeah. Um, because those old movies tended to be slower, the mm-hmm. pacing, mm-hmm. Uh, more deliberate. Yeah. It's just the way they do things. Whereas now, we're so used to movies that throw something at your face every three seconds. Yes. That yeah. it's hard sometimes for modern audiences to sit down and watch one of my... Some of my movies are more authentic to that. Okay. And those tend to be much more popular with people who really like old movies. Yeah. But modern audiences are like, oh, it's a snooze fest. Whereas right. like, no, there's a lot there. You just got to like let it happen, right? Giant Spider is built and paced like a modern film on okay. purpose. Uh, it's still a retro movie. There's a lot of retroness to it, but it's built as a comedy as well, which always sells it better. Yeah. That's one of those weird things I come across. And if you notice, if you go to like Amazon and look up my movies, uh, a lot of, half the bad reviews are always like, it wasn't even funny. It's like they just assume my movies are parodies and hilarious, right? He wasn't even really making fun of the genre. I don't. That's not what I do. But I think we're in that culture right now where everybody's doing that. Yeah. You know, and that's like uh, even what I do with the podcast is pretty counterculture to that. I I, I like to just talk about loving something and being authentic and being real about it and not having to like apologize or make an excuse. Oh, this is ironic. It's not ironic. You just like that kind of movie. Exactly. And... and (laughs) I, I don't even like when people call my movies parodies because I'm not parodying those those films. And yeah. that's what people, they go in thinking it's a parody. And they're like, it's not funny. Yeah. They're not parodies. They're homages. They're tributes. They're supposed to be... What I'm honestly aiming for is authenticity as much as I can manage. Obviously, they'll never be 100% authentic because they're made in the 21st century and not the <laughs> 1960s, yeah. right? Uh, they're not on film. They can't be 100% authentic. But I want to capture as much authenticity to that genre as possible. In essence, I want to add to that genre. Yeah. I don't want to make fun of it. I don't Mm -hmm. want to whatever. Giant Spider was specifically written to be a bit of a comedy. Uh, It doesn't take itself seriously. There's a lot of purposely comedic lines, not parodies. It's not like... Just funny. I'm not making funny. I'm just... I made goofy little scenes where they're meant to be jokey. Mm -hmm. not every one of those old movies was serious. Some of them were right. comedies. I mean, you have the <laughs> Abbott and Costello movies where yeah. they meet Frankenstein or whatever. Those are comedies, right? Yeah. I'm not saying I made anything of that caliber necessarily, but <laughs> The Giant Spider was written to be funny. Yeah. Uh, and just fun. Yeah. Uh, whereas something like, uh, I, I have a movie called Terror from Beneath the Earth. It's not. Uh, I have a movie, and here's, and here's two examples. I made a movie a couple years ago called Where Skeeto Nazi Hunter. Oh, yeah. Which sounds like it would be funny. It's not. I didn't... I realized when I was writing that script, I was like, I can go one of two ways with this. I can either make it really campy, right? Just like over the top, you know, make the Nazis completely buffoons. Or maybe I could treat it with a little gravitas as far as 
what Nazis really were back then, right? Mm -hmm. The horrible crap they did to people. And I realized I, I wanted to treat that a little more seriously because the main character was, in essence, tortured by the Nazis and turned into this creature. Yeah. Yeah, it's ridiculous that he turns into a man-sized mosquito man. <laughs> um, but I was like, ultimately, it's almost more a story about PTSD and the way it's basically destroyed his life. And now he's spending all of his time basically hunting these people down to get revenge. But in the end, is it worth it? And it's like, I'm going to actually treat yeah. this with a little more seriousness. And some people go into that and they absolutely, that's what they love about that movie. Yeah. And then there's some people that's like, it's not funny. You're like, it wasn't supposed to be. It wasn't to supposed be. to be. Well, I think it's like, if you really understand what those older monster movies were doing yeah. versus just, you know, you can't just like reboot them and just have like, oh, here, let's do that all over again without right. understanding the heart behind it. You know, right. the, the moral, the, the real story. I mean, all those monster movies were kind of about the worst parts of humanity. You know? Right. And if you Dangers don't, of, of yeah. technology or science and yeah. things we don't understand, playing God, meddling, that yeah. kind of a thing, and the natural order. And a lot of times, too, um, they, it's, it's very easy with the kinds of things that we can do now with computers and, and technology and, and special effects that you can make hyper-realistic things that are scary as hell uh, when back then they couldn't, right? Yeah. So they did the best they could. Back then, though, that scared the crap out of people, yeah. right? Uh, because they'd never seen anything like that. Uh, it's easy now with the world we live in and what we grow up on and what we see on TV and on the internet and everything every day to look at those old movies and look at that old stuff and be like, oh yeah, that's that's so cheesy and goofy and stupid. But it's like, no, they were serious back yeah. then. And that's the thing that I was saying about approaching actors, especially new actors into my, my little universe here is that I don't want people to you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink at all. Yeah. I really don't. I want people to approach it seriously. And basically what I say, uh, like with the monster phantom, like the monster is literally made out of garbage bags. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I told him, I'm like, look, your instinct is to like wink at the camera and joke about it and, you know, not treat it seriously. But in this universe in which your character exists, if that thing gets you, you are going to die. And it's going to be horrible. Treat it as such, mm -hmm. right? Act as if that thing is going to literally, like, rip the flesh from your bones. <laughs> um, don't just be like, oh, look, it's a garbage, you know, garbage bag yeah. monster, and then look at the camera, you know? No, this thing will kill you, and you got to act that way. It will be kind of funny because people will realize you're treating that seriously. That's the difference. Yeah, it's like the comedy's in the situation, not in what the actor, right. not in the actor's delivery. Right. Yeah. And so that's that's that sort of weird thing I come up against with just people who are always like, it's not funny. It's like they're not all supposed to be funny. I, I like that explanation though, and you know, I think that will be good for people to hear going into it. Because yeah. there's probably a lot of, like I said, in our group, there's probably a lot of people that um, don't want to see a parody. I think they want to see yeah. an homage and uh, they have a love of filmmaking and a love of film. They want to see that, you know. Well, and I, I did have one guy who watched The Giant Spider and was pissed that it was funny. <laughs> and he was like, why can't someone make a, a retro movie and be completely serious about it? And I'm like, I have several times. <laughs> this one's just not one. it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, and that's the thing about The Giant Spider. Uh, the joke I always make is that it's the one movie I never have to explain to people. Mm. You know, if I say... 
you know, terror from beneath the earth. Yeah. That tells you nothing. <laughs> True. Uh, okay. <laughs> cave women on Mars, maybe it's a little more explanatory, but the giant spider, yeah. You know what that is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I yeah. did have one woman once come up to me at an event and say, ooh, the giant spider, what's that about? And she was serious. And You're so like, the joke... The joke I was making is like, well, it's a coming-of-age story about a boy and his dog. And, the, and she's like, oh, really? I'm like, no, it's about a giant spider. What do you think it's about? It's in the title. It's right there. <laughs> That's so funny. Well, circling back to these questions, uh, do you have any advice for aspiring filmmakers? Uh, honestly, you know, not to sound like Shia LaBeouf here, but just do it. <laughs> just Seriously. Do it. <laughs> just do it. Uh, and that is actually fantastic advice. If you really want to do it, the, the resources are there. Yeah. Uh, I've been able to do this year after year. I haven't, you know, lost my house or anything in the process. Uh, and I just continue to do it because I really want to do it. Yeah. And that's that's the secret. Like, I, honestly, with anything, is you have to really want it and then just go freaking do it. Right. Um, I used to smoke years and years ago, and I quit cold turkey. And I was able to because I really wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And that was, I had to want it more than my body needed it, right? Right, yeah. And I quit flat out and it was horrible. It was really, really difficult, but I wanted it. Yeah. And I was able to just push myself through it. Same thing with making movies. It's a lot of work and you have to know that going into it. Um, and you also need to go into it and realize that just because you make a movie doesn't mean anyone's going to care. You have to go out there, you have to sell it, you gotta make people care. Yeah. It's okay to make mistakes, it's okay to fail, it's okay to make movies that aren't great, because with every movie, and this is what I was saying about yeah. not having a favorite, every movie for me has been a learning experience. And I've learned and refined my technique as I've gone on uh, with every movie. And if you watch my movies in order that I release them, you can honestly see where it's like, you start with the Monster Phantom Lake, which is like, it's got flaws, right? Mm -hmm. It's still a good movie, but it's got flaws. And I'm not saying the later ones don't, but as you watch, you can kind of see how I learned where to put my camera a little better. Yeah. Uh, I learned a little more about pacing and about uh, you know storytelling and how to present information in a way that's visually interesting as opposed to people just sitting there telling you this information. How to present exposition uh, without it bogging down the film. Uh, so it's like, you can see sort of a progression of, of just the whole crew just getting better at what we do. Uh, so a lot of times I just tell people, you know, if you really want to do it, and, you know, if you're not a self-starter type, which I'm very much a self-learner type, where it's like, if I don't know something, I'll go find out how to do it. I'll figure it out. Uh, when I did play music, I taught myself every instrument I learned how to play. I never took a lesson, right? Uh, Grant, I start with the drums, which is very easy to learn your, learn to learn yourself, <laughs> to teach yourself. Uh, but then moved on to other ones just by picking it up, by watching other people do it, and then messing around and experimenting. Uh, so that's what that's the real thing. My best advice is experiment a lot. Yeah. Uh, which sounds bad, but uh, yeah, that's how you learn. You, yeah. you make mistakes and you learn from them, right. and you try different things. Some things work, some things don't. Exactly. Life. <laughs> and and if you're if you're really starting from scratch uh look around on you know find groups on facebook find stuff just find locals around you because everywhere you are people are making movies because yeah. it's cheap and easy to do now uh and just ask if someone needs help if you see that someone's making a local film that's good advice uh, yeah. and 
a lot of us, we just, we thrive with, with volunteers, right? Who are just willing to hold a boom pole or, you know, help out just being on book for when the actors can't remember their lines, you know? Uh, just help out in any way you can and learn as you go. And the thing is interesting is you may find as you're doing it that you, maybe you don't necessarily want to direct. I think a lot of people go into it and be like, I want to direct. Directing can be really, you have to have a very specific personality to yeah. do it. Uh, and you have to, I mean, I know early on as a director, like actors were just like, you're not telling me enough. And it's like, because you're doing what I want, I don't feel the need to tell you. Uh, but I realized over time I've refined my technique to be like, okay, there are instances where I do need to speak up and make sure everyone understands it because it helps with the, okay, when we're doing it again, they'll do it that way again. Yeah. Because sometimes without feedback, they're like, I guess I'll try something else because, yeah. <laughs> but it's, and it's, it's learning that. But again, it's like getting in there and learning things and being a part of it and you know, that's yeah. probably the easiest way to get into it. Otherwise, with technology being the way it is that, I mean, if you have an iPhone, you can probably just make a movie. Yeah. Get together with your friends, write a little script and film stuff. Make yeah. shorts, make features, whatever you want to do. The, the tools are so easy to come by these days. It's like there's almost no excuse other than laziness or maybe you don't really want to do it. Yeah, I think some people, they don't know if they really want it or not. Right, you know, it sounds cool, about, but then they yeah. realize how much work it is, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and it's okay to to, to try it and not like it. Yeah, that's okay. Maybe you could fulfill another role. You yeah. could do the editing or you could do something else related to it that you right. enjoy more. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is that I realize over time that honestly my favorite moment in making any movie is the editing process. That's actually my favorite part of this because once you get all that, for one, it's less stressful because I, <laughs> if I'm editing, I have the footage I need, and it basically means uh, now it's just on me, Yeah. right? It's all on my shoulders just to finish this film. Um, but also, I like that jigsaw puzzle of it, yeah. right? It's like I have all this stuff. Once I'm done with this step, I got a movie. Yeah. It's like it's that it's exciting. Yeah, it's that exciting yeah. last step of just like once I finish this, I got myself a movie, mm -hmm. uh, and I just I like that sort of just late at night in my office just piecing it all together and seeing what happens uh, and you get some really cool surprising stuff uh, and those moments to me are the, are the most exciting when it's just like I, I started writing this thing and here it is yeah yeah that's awesome so for I just if my, my advice honestly is if you really want to do it either get involved uh, if you really don't know and just to get involved and, and maybe you'll work your way up or just do what I did and throw caution to the wind and make a feature, you know, when you really don't know what the heck you're doing. Uh, and you may fail spectacularly, but that's the thing. Spectacular failures are usually the best ones. Yeah. Right? As long as no one dies or gets hurt. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, magnificent failures are often, well, they make the best B-movies, let's say that. Yeah, yeah. Right? So just go out there and do it. I love that answer. Well, uh... What are some of your favorite movies? Uh, I know you kind of talked about your favorite genre, but right. I want to, uh, you, you mentioned Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, already, so we yes. got that one. So you kind of already answered this question, right. but it, it, pretend that you're going to do a, a regular episode on my show, and you're just going to talk about a movie that you love. Like maybe name, I don't know, one to five movies. That, oh, I, man. I know it's really hard. Well, it's a tough question because for me, it's like. I want to list like 30 of yeah, them. Yeah, oh yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, but try, try to nail it down. Honestly, I, I, I was <laughs> thinking about this, um, and I, I think I mentioned to you yesterday, yeah. Beetlejuice. 
Beetlejuice. That's Beetlejuice right, would yeah. absolutely be one of them. Uh, that's one of that. those movies that I loved. I saw it in a theater uh, when I was. Well, years at 87 maybe or something like that. It was a while ago, yeah. Yeah, uh, and I was like 11 or something, and a friend of mine and I rode our bikes to a little like dollar theater back Aww. when they still had dollar theaters, and we watched <laughs> it, and we were just like, that is the coolest movie. And I really like Tim Burton's early work. Yeah. I want to say early work because I have not liked his later stuff. I think I'm with you, yeah. Honestly, I think he never should have made Big Fish because I feel like he exercised his like issues with his father, right? Like, and I think a lot of that was driving his early work. And so he made Big Fish and suddenly he, it's like he came to terms with it. <laughs> and suddenly he no longer fit. Yeah, I've heard know? a lot of people say, you know, his earlier movies were kind of about him. Yeah. And him as like a director almost. Yeah. Like it really embodied that. Yeah. You can really see that in Beetlejuice and... Edward Scissorhands, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I mean... I love Pee Pee-wee's Big Adventure oh, yeah, too. Heck yeah. I mean, that's that's one of my favorite movies ever. But um, but yeah, that'd I mean, be a good one to discuss. We just do Tim Burton one. movies. Yeah, you that's mine. Tim Burton, guy, Tim Burton yeah. basically up to Big Fish. Right. But and no, once I that point, we just stopped because I always feel like he was. Yeah, is is his stuff, and this is a whole different show. Even <laughs> no, it's fine. That's the way my show is. <laughs> his stuff, uh, like you said, is much more personal. His earlier mm-hmm. stuff, which is about his experience, sort of. You know, Edward Scissorhands in particular. Yeah. It's like he's the or weirdo. Ed he did Ed Wood. He did Ed Wood, yeah, too, yeah. yeah. Uh, Edward Scissorhands, he's the weirdo in, like, the this, you know, pastel, yeah. you know, uh, suburban community. Um, that one is is a great example of him just sort of, like, you know, ex- talking about sort of his weirdo nature yeah. being surrounded by a bunch of squares, you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, and his love of sort of, like, gothy stuff and all yeah. that. I think the problem with Tim Burton now is that uh, he doesn't fit in with the current Hollywood zeitgeist, I guess, where he just doesn't fit in with Hollywood now, right? Because they've been trying to give him stuff to, like, adapt. And it's like like the the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Alice in Wonderland, stuff like that. It just, I don't know. Even when he did his Planet of the Apes, it was like, he needs to do original stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Like, weird original stuff that defines him right like Frank and Weenie was actually pretty cool yeah. for what it was uh, but when he's adapting other people's stuff there's just it's like he doesn't connect with it in some way it's like he's trying to make a Tim Burton movie out of something that shouldn't be a Tim Burton movie yeah and, right? and, and also maybe I don't know lay off on Johnny Depp I've also yeah. heard people joke like his movies are Johnny Depp in different hats. It pretty much <laughs> is. Like here's it your really new hat, is. you know. But it's like, yeah, no, I agree, and, and it's sad because I really love his earlier films. But yeah, but um, yeah, definitely Beetle. Basically, the first like four or five Tim Burton okay. movies. Okay, I, I love that. Nobody's done any of those yet. Yeah, well, so, see, so you all do right. That. But well, uh, yeah. uh, I should say uh, there is one movie he did adapt from something that I do like, and that's Mars Attacks. Oh, I but like that see movie that, a lot. <laughs> but that isn't necessarily from like well known, right? Mm-hmm. He put his spin on what was essentially not like like Alice in Wonderland. You've heard that story a million times, yeah. right? And he just retold it, basically. right? He just retold yeah. it. Even Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it's been made before and better. You yeah. know, what I mean, Willy Wonka. I'd love to do that. Actually, I love yeah. that movie. Oh yeah. Uh, some of my yeah. honestly, some of my favorites. Uh, uh, I do love Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I love The Wizard of Oz. Uh, I think it's just those are some of the most fantastic movies. I like the uh, Little Shop of Horrors musical. Oh, I love that. I, I, I could do I could do that. Uh, I could talk obviously about any movie from probably the 50s or 60s, uh, at least the black and white monster yeah. ones. 
but definitely, I think Tim Burton. Yeah. yeah. But I think okay. Mars Attacks works because he was taking his childhood love of cheesy old movies like I had, basically. Yeah. And he's like, it was an open canvas to a certain extent, right? Because yeah. you just had the cards and it's like, we just adapt the cards into situations. And it's just him and his sort of, it's unhinged. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. And he's just having a good time. And all the actors are clearly having a good time. Right. Uh, Jack Nicholson in that is amazing. I feel like that's one of those movies, though, where going in, you think it's going to be just a straight comedy, but it's not. It's like yeah. a blend, kind of like what you're talking about. It's like, it's there's funny things about it, but it's also really wacky and weird. Yeah. And you kind of have to be, like, okay with both those things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not one or the other. Uh, the guy who plays the monsters in all my movies uh, is a guy named Michael Kaiser. And that's one of his all-time favorite movies. Oh, really? Yeah. And we constantly will quote it. And he quotes it all the time. Uh, and one of the things he always does is the, the, the part in the movie where, uh, like, they, they shoot up Congress and the one old lady's like, ah, they, they just killed Congress or whatever it was. Uh, he always quotes that because it's like, it's just, it's so ridiculous and it's so, or even like, you made the international symbol of the donut, you know, just yeah. like so ridiculous and it's awesome so yeah. we can do Mars Attacks I don't know yes, that would be kind of a good tie in too uh, well where can people find you well uh, lots of places obviously uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, at a convention perhaps near you uh, and I always tell people this is like here I'm at, we're at all con here in yeah. Dallas uh, I'm available if there's a convention near you you'd like me to come visit talk to them we can maybe work something out I usually tend to be one of the cheapest guests because obviously not a lot of people know me so I'm still trying to build the brand uh, and I'm usually like I got movies to sell. I got I got movies to show. So I got I can bring. Yeah, I can talk content. about movie making. I mm -hmm. can bring content. So if you know or are involved with a convention and would like to have me, contact me. Uh, you can find me on my website, which is SaintEuphoria.com. Uh, it's all my production company is called Saint Euphoria Pictures. Uh, and actually, my production company is called All for George Productions, which is my dad's name, George, because that's how it started. That's so well, awesome. When we started, uh, the guy who plays Professor Jackson is the main character in Monster Phantom Lake. Uh, the actor and I were talking about how he, he had been an actor. He went to school for uh, college for theater. And we'd, we'd been friends for a long time and really wanted to make a movie together. And the joke we made when we made the Monster Phantom Lake is like, we're going to finally make this movie because we've been talking about it for years. And we're going to have the premiere, and then five years later, uh, or, or we're going to get a thousand DVDs made, and then five years later, we're going to be sitting on the couch, watching TV, or playing Xbox, or whatever, and be like, hey, remember the movie we made five years ago? Yeah, there's still 800 copies of it in the garage, you know? <laughs> that didn't happen. Um, uh, I don't know where I was going with this. That's uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, uh, so when we made it, I figured I was just going to make the one movie, right? So it was like, I'm calling my, because it was like, this is my movie, and it's yeah. all for George. And so that's now a production company. But uh, if you go to St. Euphoria, you got to spell it all out, which most people don't realize that. They'll just go to ST Euphoria if they uh, can okay. even spell Euphoria, which is a weird <laughs> word. Uh, and there's a whole story behind that. I'll tell on a later show, okay. perhaps. Okay, yeah, uh, exactly. But it's all spelled out, S-I-N-T-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-A.com. From there, you can contact me. You can order stuff. Uh, otherwise, if you can't remember that, go to thegiantspider.com. It'll take you to my website, and from there you can contact me. Otherwise, I'm on Facebook. Uh -huh. uh, you can friend me on there. There's also a Films of Christopher R. Mim. There is a, uh, a, a page specifically for the podcast we do, the Mimiverse Bonfire okay. podcast. Uh, I have a, a monthly newsletter I send out. Oh, great. Uh, and with that is another podcast, the Mimiverse Monthly po Audiocast. Uh, 
In that, I also do other stuff, if I can plug this a little bit. Okay. I, I just do a monthly newsletter that sort of, you know, talks about what's going on, the movies we're making. You know, I always implore people to contribute to my films. My films are crowdfunded, so anyone who wants to can contribute, get their name in the credits, they get a copy of the movie, and then a cool certificate. Okay. Uh, and you can buy tickets to the world premiere, and nice. we always do other premieres and stuff. Um, uh, so in the newsletter, it's that, and then there's there's like uh, exclusive content we do for that. Uh, we do like a, one of the actors used to do um, trivia for the the old AOL trivia channel, way wow. back in the '90s. Uh, and he does <laughs> trivia for me now. Oh, cool. uh, we do like um, important moments in science. You know, it's like it's fun to read. Oh, that's fun. But then we also do the the Miniverse monthly audio cast, which is me talking about what's going on in the Miniverse. And then I have uh, other people, other podcasters who do. Uh, you know chunks that it's so it's it's a variety of stuff as well um, uh, I have a book that uh, someone took characters from one of my books uh, for one of my movies and wrote a book about oh, cool. uh, like took some of the characters and put them in a different situation that was kind of like a classic Universal Monsters thing it's called Canoe Cops versus the Mummy uh, and I would re like every month in the audio cast I would read a chapter from it oh, neat. and I'm actually currently uh, writing a book myself uh -huh. uh, called uh, For Your Ice Only which sound, <laughs> the explanation is is that uh, I'm from Minnesota and I'm a huge fan of the sport of curling, which is just as ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> it's the most Minnesota thing, right? Yeah, yeah. And I actually play on a curling team. I'm a huge nerd. Uh, that's actually tied into the movies, actually. Uh, years ago, I was watching a curling match and there's a curler named Heath McCormick. Heath, like the candy bar, Heath McCormick. And I was watching a match, and I'd never heard the name before, and it sounded to me like the announcers were saying Beef McCormick, which is a way cooler name, Beef McCormick. <laughs> and I went online and said, hey, if someone was named Beef McCormick, what does that guy do? What do you think he is? And the, the general consensus was that he's a spy, a la, like, uh, James Bond. Yeah, yeah. So I started writing a Beef McCormick novel, uh, tying in, he's a curler, but he's also a spy. Right. I like it. Set right. in the yeah. early '60s, and I'm currently releasing a chapter a month oh, cool. on the audio cast. So because you don't have enough to do. Right, 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 <laughs> exactly. So it's an ongoing serial as well, and I'm about oh, cool. 13 chapters into it. And you can obviously go back and listen, yeah. and eventually, once I finish it, I'll just release it as a book. Oh, neat. Okay. Because uh, the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy, I do have even some on my table. Oh, so cool. I sell those at events, and that you can buy them on Amazon. So find me on my website. Uh, sign up for the newsletter. You can find me on Facebook. Uh, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I think we're finally getting a, an Instagram going here. Sweet. Uh, otherwise, just come to an event. Uh, you know. Just come say hi. Come say hi. Yeah. Sign up. We like we like community. We like you know hanging out with people. And we have events, and I'm always trying to do events places. And that's the other thing too, which I'll quick say as we're wrapping up, is that in addition to conventions, is I do screenings as well. Mm -hmm. um, some of them are more interactive than others. I, do a, I have a movie called House of Ghosts, which uh, is a, my tribute to the films of William Castle. And of course, William Castle you know, made movies like House on Haunted Hill and The Tingler. He's, also, he's the guy who always would do gimmicks associated with his movies. You yeah, know. yeah, like, uh, the, like 4D experience. Right, that. right. Yeah, Back yeah, in yeah. the day, like The, the Tingler, they, you know, he, he joy buzzed seats yeah. mm -hmm. to get people to scream. So we did this movie called House of Ghosts. That was my tribute to him. And I have a, a full like live show that goes along with it. Oh, okay. Uh, a William Castle-esque show cool. that if, if someone listening knows yeah. of a local theater that'd okay. be willing to maybe give us a slot that we could come out and do a screening. Doesn't have to be House of Ghosts. It could be 
you know, Giant Spider. It could be any one of my films. Yeah. Uh, we do stuff like here in, in the DFW area. For Alamo. Uh, right? Doing the Alamo mm-hmm. draft, draft House in Richardson. Uh, I played a couple draft houses in other places too. Oh, cool. Uh, so, I mean, there's... We do a lot of events, and that's one of the ways that that we try to... I, I'm very interested in getting people to go to the freaking movies. I right? love that, yeah. Uh, I know a lot of people, it's like way easier to just watch things on Amazon Prime, of which you can watch my movies on Amazon Prime. <laughs> so if it you, is possible. If you want to just take a chance... Uh, I do get paid six cents an hour for every time you watch my movies, so please help me out if that's the minimum you can do. Do it! Well, you know, uh, Christopher, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, the show. I, I, I told really you I could talk it. forever. I mean, well, honestly, I we could keep that. going. We could tangent into any movie you want, and we'll we'll get into it. We I can know. talk about the six cents for all I care. I mean, <laughs> we can do it. Yeah, well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, and I hope you really do follow up with me on picking a movie, because I Absolutely. would love yeah. to do that. Well, and perhaps next time I'm in town, we yeah. can sit down and do it. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I don't know if you do things remotely. Oh, yeah, I do. do that typically, too. Yeah. yeah, typically, they're, almost all of them are exclusively remotely, but since okay. you're here, I wanted to meet you. Yeah, even better. You. Yeah, and then yeah. you get, they get the, the true live ambiance. Yeah. We weren't kidding. We're, we're at Alcon here. Yeah, and we really are here. Lots of people milling around and having a good time. <laughs> Some guy just sat down at the piano and just started playing for a little bit. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's live. Live, live, guys. Well, thank you so much, and we yeah, will thanks. see you all next time. Cool. Bye. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening. It was really incredible having Christopher R. Mim on the podcast. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed hearing about his movies, hearing about his experience with cinema. It was just really energizing and fun to listen to. I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. I know it's a little bit of a break away from what we typically cover, but it's just opens up a lot of really fun possibilities. I would love to cover some of his movies on the podcast, so I really encourage you guys to go check out his films and support them. Again, they are on Amazon Prime for free, and you can also purchase them from his website. And, you know, watch a couple. uh, Let me know what you think. I also wanted to mention I will be attending an event at the Alamo Drafthouse in Richardson this Sunday. That's March 25th. It's called Women and the Movies They Make. And here's a description I got from the Alamo Drafthouse website. When women's liberation swept the nation in the early 1970s, women began making more films than ever before. Women Make Movies was there to train, support, and distribute feminist films, and they continue to do so today. As the Women's March, Me Too, Time's Up, and Black Lives Matter generate new waves of feminist activism, we look back at the ways women have used their creativity and passion behind the camera. In this program, we screen a couple selections from the Women Make Movies catalog that highlight the power and the persuasion of feminist cinema across the ages and across the globe. Again, that's March 25th. Uh, There's two programs, one at 12.15 and one at 3 p.m. The cost is $5 to reserve your seat, but that $5 also goes towards your food and drinks. Um, This is a event that's near and dear to my heart. I'm really excited. I definitely support this. And uh, you guys know from listening to the podcast that uh, women behind the camera is really important to me. So I hope to see you guys there. Uh, If you guys have any feedback about this episode or any others, please feel free to reach out to me on Twitter under AYA Lisa Cosplay. You can also find me on Instagram at AYA and as a Nancy AMI Lisa or in our closed Facebook group. I love that movie. 
Our group is closed, but just send me a request and I'll add you. It's a safe space for movie lovers to discuss their favorite films judgment-free. My only rule is keep it positive. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. If you leave a positive review on iTunes, you'll be entered to win a $20 gift card to movie theater chain of your choice. Right now, we're at 20 reviews, guys. 10 more, and I draw names, so leave one today. Thanks so much, everyone, and I look forward to hearing from you. Bye.